Welcome, my name is Robin Harford from eatweeds.co.uk. This special episode of the Eat Weeds podcast has been created on the anniversary of the inspirational plant walker, Frank Cook, who passed away on August 19th, 2009, when he was only 47. It is supported by plantsandhealers.org, an organisation originally created by Frank and whose work continues through the efforts of his friends and family. You'll learn a little more about PHI shortly. So, this episode covers interviews and music from some of Frank's nearest and dearest, and people who continue his work to this day. I hope you enjoy the show. So who was Frank Cook? Well, he was a herbalist, a teacher, a botanical explorer, an activist and pollinator who turned people on to the abundance nature provides and the ability to self-actualise. He considered himself a citizen of the world, and we considered him to be a herbal extraordinaire, a green wizard, a botanical genius and a Gaia-loving prophet of emerging planetary medicine and transition cultures. He touched a large number of people and instilled in them a deep love of the natural world, as well as an empowered sense of self. For the last 15 years of Frank's life, his passion for living consciously and simply led him to become a repository for plant knowledge. He studied internationally with herbalists, shamans, vedias, green witches, doctors, professors and medicine men and women around the world who initiated him into many ways of understanding plants as medicine. During that time, Frank led hundreds of workshops on reskilling, specifically through plant identification and relations. He facilitated mead circles, taught at schools and in homes, gardens and the woods, spoke at conferences and played a prominent role at educational gatherings around the world. He was a phenomenal teacher. After hearing Frank share his way of seeing the world, many were inspired to connect with nature in some way, to eat something wild every day, let food be your medicine, practice simple living, show up on plant walks, make meads and wild ferments, or create your own herbal remedies for the family. Frank taught us all the edible plants in our yard and woods. He showed us what plants were medicine and gave us medicine he'd made from them. He awakened the herbal movement and graced our communities with old knowledge of traditional healers, reminding us to appreciate the whole plant and see plants as our allies. He encouraged us to think of local analogue plants to replace the endangered, over-harvested species of the world and to walk the green path. But Frank Cook did more than just enlighten us about plants. He expanded our minds and aroused high consciousness. Through his travel journals, his botany talks, his way of living by donation, and by taking us to our edges and asking questions like, what plants will be with us in this planetary culture rising? How will you show up to help your community transition into these changing times? And how can we best move forward? He firmly believed that we're in the midst of great changes on the planet, and that it is our awareness and daily choices that will determine what quality of a future we have as people of our one interconnected world. Frank spoke often of how we were quickly becoming one world, his central questions in this respect were, what plants will be in our global gardens and stories? What will be our global healing system and what will it look like? What are the roles of the human species in the web of life? Frank was very much alive when he passed, full of visions, work and inspiration. He was known to say, I'm done with end users, meaning that as we learn this knowledge and way of being he was teaching, it was now our responsibility to pass it on? Well, I think flow is a very important um, 
concept to get behind and understand when you're when you're looking with plants and being with them and uh, interacting with them. In that, nothing is static. All living life has is isn't uh, isn't concrete or standing in one place. And there's an inner inner relationship that's going on between um, everything that's around there. So there's a tendency to look at this mint here, for instance, and think of it as an isolated entity that's alone and independent of everything else around it. And yet the plant next to it, this buttercup, uh, has, a, has a relationship and there's a, a flow that goes between them. And that's something that we're just discovering now, I think getting deeper and deeper into is, is recognizing that, um, that these two separate entities have this relationship. In fact, everything is related to everything else. And there's this whole flow that's constantly going on between. And as we discover more and more about that, we open up to this, the mystery of, of things being interrelated. And what I mean by that is there's a tendency in our, in our mind, part of our mind, to, to isolate and separate something from something else. And that, that's an illusion. And the more we look into it, we realize that not only are these plants related by their roots underneath the ground, but there's also all these other organisms, um, mushrooms or fungi, that are being, uh, in a sense, midwives or, or, or linking up the different beings together. Not only mushrooms, but different kinds of bacteria. Um, you know, most of the life form, most of the biomass of the earth is actually under the ground here. So we're kind of, in a sense, everything that's above the ground here is a, a flow that's coming from this underground invisible expression. And if we can look at that and realize that that's really, you know, a lot of, of life is this, this invisible, this un, that's not something we can tangibly necessarily reach out and touch, something that we have to uh, move into through the mystery. And, uh, and, and open up to, we can, we can realize that that's, uh, that's actually the keys to, to appreciating nature, appreciating life, going deeper. There was a time, you know, that we've been on, and hopefully I think we're coming to the end of that, that we were learning through separating. But flow doesn't happen through separation. Flow happens through connection. And the, the idea of, of things flowing and interrelating is really much more in tune within our Within our own bodies, we have this idea of thinking that we're separate beings. But um, I mean, I, I can feel it a lot when I'm in cities or I'm in uh, fluorescent lit office buildings. There's this cutoff that happens, and it's sort of we do that in our minds, we do that in our lives. We get in boxes and we we sort of isolate. We think of ourselves as you know independent beings, but in in reality, when you come out of those offices and come off that concrete road and go into the forest. It, you're not just simply walking through there. There's an, there's a, there's an invisible link-up that's happening, and everything in the forest knows that you're, knows that you're there. And you can, if you slow down enough, you can hear that through the birds talking. You can really feel it uh, in your interaction with the, the soil. Um, and that, what I love about it is then if you can step beyond this idea of being separate and begin to interface with the plants and interface with the land, then you're, you know, we get that through smell and we get that through taste, we get that through eyes, we get that through seeing. So these flows all are all going on around us. And this illusion of us being separate from that has, like I said, has had some benefits and has had some lessons in it, but we need to get back to that recognition that we're really linked up, you know, that everything about us is related and, and these, this, this knowledge is coming out. It's, it's coming out in a beautiful flow right now within our culture. 
And that recognition, like for instance, our digestive tract has what three and a half pounds of organisms living in it that are not us. And um, what is it? Our half of our half of our the mass and body weight of our body is really uh, bacteria and organisms that that aren't us, so to speak. And um, those organisms are interrelating with everything else. And then, of course, we look at our heart. People think of the heart as a pump, as a mechanistic mechanistic. Uh, aspect organ of our body well that you know that's very limited thinking the heart is actually tuned in and is a, uh, a, an organ of sensory perception and is tuned in to these once again these invisible flows that are going on and interrelating with everything and so in coming in and having time with plants and interrelating with plants there's so many levels that we can get to with it and there's an initial impression when people get turned on to plants that oh how can i use this who is who is this to me what's this medicine what's this food and you know that works for a little while but I, as i try to say to people let's let's have a deeper relationship than that you know you don't go around how do i use my friends you know you, you wouldn't keep your friends very long that way so it's it's really kind of getting relating and 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 then the flow really starts happening when you start to really open up and you know there's that term empath to be empathic and to reach out and feel empathy and to go into the other organisms that are around you and then there's this interplay that goes on and that that relationship that interplay going back and forth between um, is how we're going to grow it's our, really our next level of evolution uh, that us being conscious of that that flow has been going on all the time but now that we're becoming conscious of it we're able to uh, to interrelate with it. So. Many subtle textures and tones that I can feel the love enmeshed in my bones With every breath this blessing it grows In this infinite expression of soul and all the fear that I have held I am letting it go so let the medicine flow We'll develop a whole way of living that the whole world could follow But please don't mistake us for the first role models Know we learned a whole lot from some really dang books And a really blessed brother by the name of Frank Cook He taught us that the plants are some really deep people And they could be sweet or they could be lethal But mostly they'll inspire if we Treat them as an equal, so give what you can, receive what you need, live with the land, so many seeds, so many seeds, yo we're eating something wild on a daily basis, and we gather up the fam in some sacred places, like the ancient ones before us, we embrace the basics, and exclaim the greatness of the whole natural world, and the land that we travel on, come walk with us if y'all can't handle Babylon. We will roam around the earth meeting all of the plants But we will not call it work, no, we'll call it a dance And in our hearts we will always share a blessing of peace And in our thoughts we will gather better lessons to teach And when we walk, we will all keep spreading the seeds Of the medicinal and edible weeds And not to mention the trees And when we move, we will do it to the tune of life's rhythm Cause life is pure beauty when you use the right vision And work becomes bliss when you choose the right mission So use the light within and give what you can See what you need Live with the land So many seeds So many seeds Yo, the world that I envision is a bubble of bliss It's all love for one another And the love is legit Full of oneness and abundance Who could want to resist No more struggling with an economy that doesn't exist We're stepping out 
a whole new state of mind Embracing all the sacred vibes and making sure we take the time to really slow down And connect with the plants and then we sow many seeds so the blessing expands We're spreading spores everywhere like the funguses do So if this rhyme resonates and you're loving the tune Then pack your bags and come with us cause there's plenty of room The green path will welcome all like the sun and the moon Just open up your heart and start humming a tune like Okay, I'm in Asheville, North Carolina in the United States with Mark Williams, who is the executive director of Plants and Healers International. So, Mark, just can you tell us about what is PHI and where did it come from, what's its main objectives and the future of it, where's it heading? Okay, I'd love to, Robin. Thank you. Well, the mission of Plants and Healers International is to celebrate and further the work of Frank C. Cook IV by connecting communities and supporting activities that promote his vision of advancing human culture in harmony with the natural world. And Frank Cook is this force of nature in the lives of many. Certainly, I can speak for myself in saying he has been this incredible inspiration to me and that he traveled all over the world studying the plants and their uses and the healers that were applying these uses and then aggregating this data and sharing it in teachings as he went and also in a number of different publications that he put together. He has a whole series of books, for instance, The Plants and Healers of India and Nepal, The Plants and Healers of Peru and Ecuador, Plants and Healers of South Africa, and uh, unfortunately, Frank passed away about five and a half years ago, August 19th of 2009, and in his passing, a number of uh, his very close friends and his family uh, saw fit that uh, some type of organization needed to be put together to continue his vision and move it forward. And so PHI now, five years on, is in this interesting place of uh, kind of a, a bifurcated split between looking back and archiving all of Frank's work and making sure that the publications that he did were, um, that were, have gone out of print are now, you know, able to be accessed by people. And then um, also other things besides the books that he wrote, things like his poetry and things like uh, short essays and, um, and photographs. And so in one way, we have this uh, part of our mission that's looking back and archiving Frank's materials. And then in another way, we have this mission moving forward of how to expand further 
his vision and uh, some tangible ways that we are doing that is uh, in particular this initiative we have called the Plant Allies Network or PAN for short which is kind of literally putting on the map all of these different places that Frank traveled to in Peru and Costa Rica and South Africa and Australia and England and um, ultimately evolving into a, a wiki based resource whereupon people can add in uh, other organizations as uh, as they come across them and uh, so there's that aspect of it that's kind of um, specifically germane to Frank and his travels also an aspect of bringing in the outside community to add in their uh, resources and then also uh, kind of connecting basically to a number of organizations that are doing similar work. So there's a whole map of the botanical gardens of the world and there's a whole map of the herbalists of North America and there's a whole map of um, eco-villages. And so we kind of envision ultimately to have this kind of one-stop shop, if you will, that would allow people to access in various different layers depending on their interests these gardens, these uh, apprenticeship opportunities, these communities, um, places where they can do foraging, places where they can learn about medicinal plants and other aspects of ethnobotany. So that's a real big initiative for Plant and Healers right now is this PAN project. And we have a number of others though that we are uh, working on as well moving forward, whereupon in particular Frank uh, has a tradition that we're following in of taking people to these places. So not just virtually on some Google map, but literally going into the jungles of the Amazon in Peru or going into the Finbos special ecosystem of uh, Southern Africa. And um, one of the new ones that uh, is kind of the one big region of the world Frank didn't get to that we're really kind of projecting for 2016 is to go to China and um, to study the plants there and meet with healers there and uh, ultimately uh, bring back information that we can share with the plants and healers community of what we find and hopefully do some cross-pollination because uh, there is so much that is similar from the area where I live in southern Appalachia and the area of eastern China as far as the different plants that grow in those two places. So in going into China, um, you know, it, it always comes back to me as the relevance of doing this work. You know, for, for me, I go to, to other countries, particularly in Asia, Southeast Asia, and you know, a bit of me kind of thinks, oh, well, that's just my ego being stroked. You know, isn't it cool to hang out with hill tribes in the jungles? But then what I'm, I, I realize is that, um, you know, on my, on, on my work, that actually learning plant knowledge and information on the uses as edibles or medicinals from other cultures is actually really relevant to me, as I say, as an Englishman and you as an American um, in my own home base because there are these analogues that Frank used to talk about, um, similar families, similar genuses, predominantly the genus, um, if I'm correct, mm -hmm. that we find in, say, Asian plants that can then be transposed to our own cultures, mm -hmm. you know, European, North American. Um, so other than just having a jolly in China, say, mm -hmm. 
what would be the the kind of the benefit of people coming along on a trip like that? I mm. mean, other than just you know purely a, a personal interest or a so-called holiday, but it, you know, be a working holiday, um, a study holiday. Um, what happens when they get back to England or back to America? What what? How can that benefit them having done a journey like that? Yeah, that's a great question, and I'll try to unpack it because there's a number of different layers to. Uh, what the potential applications might be. So yeah. uh, I guess the first layer I would say is kind of this conceptual framework of how we organize plants, right? Because there are easily something around 300,000 species of plants in the world. And so that's a very big, large, hefty group that just about nobody could probably wrap their mind around. The next level of organization above that is this genus level. And so there's about 15,000 of those of flowering plants. And so any one genus might have 5, 10, 50, even 100, or even 1,000 different species underneath it. But often, even once you get up to that genus level, it um, really simplifies things because there's so much less at the 15,000 level than the 300,000 level. And, of course, that is for the world scope versus... Uh, in the area where I live, for instance, I know that there's about 2,400 species, but there's about 700 genera. And oftentimes, in particular with food applications, you can know that if one species in the genus is edible, say, here, then another species that you might find in England or other parts of Europe would be edible, and another species you might find in Asia might be edible as well. And so that's like a playing on this plant family pattern thing, which is the next level above genus is, is the family. And um, there are about, say, 400, in between 400 and 500 families, which still even, especially for the novice, would be kind of an overwhelming number. But the good news is that in the temperate world, especially outside of Asia, that if you learn the top 30 families then you will know something significant about the vast majority of the plants that you see. And um, the point being is that there tend to be these families that are good for food. There tend to be these families that are good for medicine. And, and obviously with the big overlap with the idea of food as medicine, that um, there is some wiggle room between those two categories. But then there are also families that almost always tend to be poisonous. And then beyond just purely anthropocentric issues around how is it good for us as humans are also families that are good for butterflies and families that are good for birds and families that are good for bees. And of course, uh, a kind of universal principle from science of ecology to lots of spiritual traditions is that we're all connected. And so I think that um, part of it is this understanding of expanding out how the intricate web is woven and even if it's not necessarily something specifically good for us and like we're going to put it in the cook pot or in the saute yeah. pan it's something that might support something that ultimately would support something else that would be good for us as far as food goes and also i would um say ultimately uh kind of getting into this place where it's just good biodiversity's sake for its own sake, you know, for like aesthetic beauty, for instance, is something also as far as uh, 
you know, its own kind of gift, its own kind of um, nourishment. You know, I often will say on my walks that uh, people eat with their eyes as well as their mouth. You know, so um, when you think about a place like China or other parts of Asia, then uh, this is going to be the most biodiverse temperate area of the world. And at the same time, we're in, it's been stayed for thousands of years, obviously, with the people that live there. And a lot of that hasn't necessarily filtered into the Western world. But one thing that has filtered into the Western world are a number of plants from there that have now become invasive. Yeah. And I know certainly from where I live to where you live in England, Japanese knotweed would be kind of like this classic example. And a lot of people curse Japanese knotweed, and I myself would never like intentionally plant Japanese knotweed. But we know if we look back... Uh, to the traditions uh, where it comes from, that there are medicinal applications. We know if we look to modern research uh, of the phytochemistry of it, that it's very high in resveratrol, for instance, which is something that um, grapes are getting a lot of play about now. And there has been um, some looking at it and potential uh, use for things like Lyme disease. And uh, so... I think kind of it's this multi-part thing for me of like going to a place like that, knowing that we have all these plants, you know, Japanese knotweed just being one, but then there's also Japanese honeysuckle and there is, uh, um, yeah, kudzu, I mean, probably maybe the most famous one. And um, these other plants, they have lots of uses and uh, some for food, some for medicine, some for both. Um, then other craft applications, natural dyes and basketry. And, and so I, I see it as like trying to um, get that full picture. You know, we've got some of it in the literature here of how these things have been used historically, but I'm sure that there's much more that we could learn from being on the ground over there in that regard of how these things might be applied. And my kind of thing is... Um, you know, how to put the silver lining on the cloud, how to make the lemonade from the lemons kind of thing. You know, these things are here. Most likely they're probably here to stay. Oftentimes people are pouring poisons on top of them to get rid of them and potentially creating a secondary problem. Wherein with the permaculture lens, for instance, uh, they say, how can we turn a problem into a resource? Yeah. So that is kind of what I'm looking at with a lot of these exotic invasives from that area. But other things are like, how can we um, find more plants from that area? Because we know that we share similar climates that we can maybe bring here that won't be invasive, but might be very useful and vice versa. How can we um, potentially bring plants from our area over to that area that they might be intrigued by and um, be able to apply for uh, their own benefit and use, because that's a big thing too. It's not about just going out and extracting knowledge, right? Which yeah. is kind of the, the sad history of colonialism. There needs to be a kind of built-in reciprocity. So, and anything that Planting Healers is going to do, we'll be looking to gain, but we'll be also looking to give yeah. as well. Excellent. Excellent. Thank you. Frank really thought about these um, herbal elixir meads as um, uh, reviving an ancient tradition that, has, that had been suppressed. 
um, you know, the, the, the basically um, uh, incorporating plant medicine into fermented alcoholic brews is is an ancient practice that you know people have been doing you know as, as long as they have been um, you know fermenting um, uh, alcoholic beverages and um, uh, you know basically as uh, as an aspect of the of, of the Inquisition and this um, you know sort of broad um, campaign against plant medicine and its practitioners. Um, the you know sort of anti uh, witchcraft uh, kind of uh, campaigning uh, that, that there had been this sort of suppression of this ancient tradition of incorporating different uh, medicinal and psychoactive uh, plants into um, fermented alcoholic brews um, and uh, I mean you know Frank really really saw uh, you know what he was doing what we were doing as you know an attempt to to revive this branch of herbal medicine that had, that had been uh, largely lost and you know he was always encouraging people to uh, to experiment to help sort of you know re rebuild the knowledge base of how the action of the plants is altered by the fermentation so that you know the plants have you know the plants have you know a certain action if you steep them as a tea they might have a slightly altered action if you steep them in grain alcohol to make a tincture um, they might have a slightly altered action if you just um, eat them raw but that if you you know if you ferment them through their you know interaction with the the yeasts and uh, you know any other fermenting uh, uh, organisms that are that, that are part of it that they have um, you know some other alteration which um, you know may may be very subtle or it may be uh, you know more uh, uh, more dramatic but uh, you know he was he was always encouraging our, our our students to be part of like rebuilding this knowledge base of you know understanding how the the fermentation might uh, alter the action of uh, different herbs. Typically, in the context of our workshop, it was you know whatever Frank and the students found, you know we would we would you know we would uh, in, make an infusion and people would drink some of it hot as a tea and then uh, and then whatever they didn't drink hot we would allow it to cool down and then we would mix it with honey and use that as the basis for um, for the mead so you know in in that context we were you know very often working with you know fairly random combinations of you know things they just happened to stumble upon in the course of uh, in the course of plant walks um, but I mean, I have um, I have a couple of lists that this friend uh, uh, Mark Williams, a friend of Frank's, compiled at these. Uh, there was this event in Asheville, North Carolina, twice a year called Leaf Lake Eden Arts Festival, and. Um, uh, over the last few years, at each uh, at each leaf festival, there was a, a mead sharing circle uh, uh, late at night, and um, you know this growing group of fermenters would you know everyone would bring a couple of bottles with them, and then everyone would pass around the bottles and take a little sip and. Um, uh, this guy Mark compiled a list of all of the uh, of all of the um, herbal elixir meads that, that would show up at this, and just because Frank had so much influence in this, um, you know, relatively um, uh, uh, 
small area of Asheville, North Carolina, you know, every year there were like more people who were actively making these medicinal meads. Um, and so, I mean, you know, we're talking like, you know, 50, you know, different, um, you know, herbal, er, herbal and fruit combinations. Um, and then, you know, some people, you know, just like in the world of herbal medicine, you know, some people prefer to do simples that are just, you know, like a, a, a single herb and they want to, you know, sort of experience just the purity of that flavor and the effect of that plant and, you know, other people are more alchemical and they'll, you know, mix together lots of, uh, you know, lots of uh, uh, different herbs, either with the idea of creating some combined action, um, you know, or just because they're things that are that are seasonal or, um, you know, available at the same time. So are the elixirs really like nutritional support rather than you get ill, you take a particular elixir, or well, about mean, a combination I, of both? I, I think, I, I mean, I think it depends a lot what, yeah. what, what, what it is, how concentrated it is, but, I mean, if you think about, um, you know, the way, the way most people in our time are preserving their plant medicine is in grain alcohol. And that's something that's only been available for a couple of hundred years. I mean, that's that, that that's basically the result of an industrial process. And um, so, if you take the same, you know, principle of alcohol being a preservative, the you know gentler way to take it into our bodies, and um, you know, the more um, uh, you know low-tech and traditional way of preparing it is through fermentation rather than distillation so um, you know fermenting the alcohol with the plant I mean you know you could just take some beer or wine and um, you know put herbs in it and uh, you know because the alcohol is a solvent for um, uh, phytochemicals um, you know you, you'll you'll end up with uh, you know flavors and compounds from the plant in the beer or the wine but um, you know this whole idea is well just brew it with the uh, uh, with the plants and let 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 those compounds be present in the fermentation um, so you know you could do it as something that would be a you know a gentle tonic or nutritional support or something like that um, you know or you could do it in a way that um, uh, would be more medicinal I think mm. it just depends a lot w what it is and and how concentrated you make it Birds flying high, you know how I feel Sun in the sky, you know how I feel Breeze drifting on by, you know how I feel It's a new dawn, it's a new day It's a new life for me, yeah It's a new dawn, it's a new day New life for me. Ooh, 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 ooh. And I'm feeling good. Fish in the sea, you know how I feel. River running free, you know how I feel. Blossom on. It's a new day, it's a new life for me, and I'm feeling good. Dragonfly out in the sun, you know what I mean, don't you know? 
butterflies all having fun You know what I mean Sleep in peace when day is done That's what I mean And this old world is a new world And a bold world for me shine, you know how I feel, scent of the pine, you know how I feel, oh, freedom is mine, and I know how I feel, it's a new dawn, it's a new day, it's a new I'm here in um, Asheville, with North, we're in North Carolina in the United States, with Mary Morgane, who was Frank Cook's partner. Yeah? Yeah. Great. So, Mary, um, what is the Frank Cook phenomena? What was this eat something wild every day? And what was, what was it about? What, was, what drew you to Frank? Um, before you became his partner, the, the plant work, you know, what was, what was just the draw? Because the man obviously had a lot of magnetism and charisma that obviously influenced my life, sent me off completely on a different trajectory than one I had ever possibly imagined. So, but for you, who were really close with him, what was it? Well, I first met Frank in the early 2000s. I was already uh, very drawn to the plant world and learning plants as food and medicine. And I heard there was this guy teaching a class on making elixirs. At the time, they were called herbal elixirs, but really it's what has evolved into the mead-making crowd these days. And so Frank was teaching this class, and we, it was all an outdoor class in this outdoor kitchen in Earth Haven, Black Mountain, North Carolina. And... The first thing we did was we walked around the land for a couple hours to harvest the plants for making the herbal elixir. And here is this tall man with long dreadlocks, and just every plant or tree that we came to, he had something to say about it. Its name, a story, a use. Um, and it was so touching and unusual. You don't really run into people like that and life very much so I was really ecstatic and we spent that day making the herbal elixirs and I I thought how can I get to know this guy better so I asked him you know what what's your story what's your deal and he told me that he moved all around the world constantly his goal was to learn the 500 families to meet every family of plant on the planet and uh, so he was moving to different continents constantly to make that a reality and didn't have a phone, didn't really have a place he lived. And so I didn't know if I'd really see him again, <laughs> but it, he would pass through the Asheville Black Mountain area a few times a year. So the next time 
he came through. I invited him over for lunch because I had a lot of plants in my yard and I lived back, backed up to the Blue Ridge Parkway and the Mountains to Sea Trail. And there were a lot of plants down in this stream bed that I didn't know what they were. And I wanted a guide. And so I got in touch with him. That's a, a longer story of how that happened. And I thought, I'm sure he's busy or whatever. He won't be able to come. But he, he came, he got a ride to the house and he showed up and we spent the day and I must have asked him a million questions about this plant and that plant and that plant and I harvested them as we went along and we made a huge wild food salad and then a big tea with a lot of the herbs and I was just so inspired and moved that this person was physically able to answer all these questions that I had been looking in books to find the answers to for identification and that he was so excited about it and would bring the plants alive in a way that I had felt but hadn't found that relationship with a lot of people and had felt kind of awkward in my relationship with plants as seeing them as beings that I talked to a lot like people naming them my own names and um, sitting with them, caressing them, and not only just eating them or using them as medicine, but really appreciating their whole beingness. And here was this guy who was doing that, and he was respected in the community for it, which was, it was profound for me. And so, let's see, from there, I, we, we went to Africa shortly after that. There was a trip that he was leading with several other people. And we went to the Finbos in South Africa and just started meeting all these endemic plants that he had already met. So he was able to introduce me to them, knew the names of them, the uses, people that were using them, how they were using them, and relating to them, how much they honored them. And it was, he was just like a gateway into this green world that um, was rare to find at that time. Even since then, which was early 2000s, here it is, 2015, so many more people have multiplied in that ability. And uh, I mean, obviously, Frank's now passed over. Where do you see the work, the lineage tradition, almost in forward time? Do you see it evolving in, an, in, a, in any direction? I mean, maybe that's um, not the right question, but... Well... Certainly, where, where are people taking this? You know, because he obviously inspired, I mean, not just... A few hundred he's inspired thousands of people and I know that from the comments on the videos that, that were put out you know this guy even through the videos even if you never met him you know I remember when he died and I had um well, I still have a memorial page up when I had the comments up people were saying you know I never met this guy but through the videos I felt like I really knew him and 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 his presence and his dynamism really inspired me to go on in my own plant journey so we kind of have all these these kind of seeds that he sowed in, in people and they've all gone off and in, so there's this kind of web of Frank Cookieism, you know, <laughs> or the cookieites or however you want to, you know, not to put him on a blooming guru's level, but uh, certainly on a, on a, on um, uh, an inspirer, you know, a mental level, you know, mm -hmm. which is a very different mm -hmm. thing to a guru or, an, or a, you know, an authority, you know. So what I've seen in, it, it, since he died, and even just in the latter part of before he died of his work, is that the biggest thing is planting the seeds of consciousness in people who had never even conceived to think that a dandelion might have some use other than being pulled out, cursed, or sprayed. And 
Uh, for example, he went with me to my family for a Thanksgiving holiday, and we harvested, he, we, we put it out there. There were 40 of us. Anybody who wants to go on a wild plants walk, well, they were like, what does that mean? You know, yeah. that, never even heard of such a thing. And they went, and they learned chickweed. We met a reishi mushroom, the coarse dandelion. There were lots of violets. We talked about juniper. And you could just see the people's eyes lighting up. Now, whether they went back and applied that in their life, I can't really say. But there was a seed of consciousness that was stirred inside of them that wasn't there before. And that's where it, it all starts. And I, I see that that's happening and spreading rapidly right now. It's just that awareness, that waking up. And then the next step is the, somebody applying it on a small level. It's, it's these varying degrees, so it's hard for me to say where I see it, say, in my lifetime, but I, what I see, it's easy for me to see right now, this spread of consciousness, and that's enough that gives me hope that wants me to keep doing this work. Yeah, I mean, what I find that really interesting, what you just said, because I know when people come on my own courses, that sometimes they they don't really know why they're there. They know that foraging and wild food is cool and hip and, you know, all the Michelin-style restaurants are now, and restaurants are kind of getting in on the act, so to speak. But by the end, it's like, again, that kind of thing in their eyes and it's like, wow. And it's almost like unconsciously there's this yearning for something that's been lost within our, within, not to sound too woo-woo, but within our souls, you know, that is... Well, it's in it's our DNA this, that yeah. we've been connected to the plants since we've been on planet Earth. I mean, we cannot live without the plants. And I would ask people in my classes, so who, which one of you here is like really involved with plants? And like hardly everyone, anyone would raise their hand. I'd be like, so did you breathe today? Do you have on any clothes? Have you eaten? Does your house have any wood in it? You know, like you, you're inextricably linked to the plant world. And to have sort of ignored that or put it out of your mind as something important is denying who you are down to your DNA, your blood. Yeah. And so when you get that coming back to you, it's like this spark reawakens. Yeah, I knew that. My ancestors knew that. I forgot, but now I'm remembering and that's a lot of what's happening right now in the two, 2015, 14, 13, this remembering. And it's a slow process. And I don't know if we'll remember in time to save our own selves. Yeah. Um, but you got to start there. You know, that's, that, it's the start. Yeah. And that's really hopeful and exciting to me. Great. Well, it's been great interviewing Mary and wonderful to finally meet you because obviously, you know, I knew who you were and had never met you and now... Meeting, meeting Frank's former partner and a fantastic plant walker. It's been a real blessing. So well, thank you. Thank you very much. And right back to you. And thank you for carrying on this lineage in England, a very old country with lots of roots. Yeah. Here and everywhere. Indeed.